We're going to continue our message, the biblical case for the multi-ethnic church. I believe this is part four. Um, you know, um, we are a multi-ethnic church. We desire to be a multi-ethnic church. That's part of our vision is that this is a place, this is a house where every man can come and, and woman uh, can come and feel welcomed and valued. Uh, we don't believe that it's biblical, this whole thing that the world has, that there's different races. We don't believe that that's biblical. Uh, the Bible says from one blood, God has created every nation of man, every ethnos of man. And so um, we're not dogs or cats or anything where there's all these different species. It's just man, right? And so we reject that whole concept of the black race, the white race, and all these other different races. No, we're all one man, but different ethnicities, different nations is the way that the Bible puts it. <clears throat> and so today... We're going to continue to talk about why this is even important, you know, because some people will say, why is he talking about that during church? Well, because it's important. It's an important topic for us to discuss. And too many, too, for too long, the church has ran from these hard topics. And we've allowed the world to shape the conversation. And then we wonder why our nation is in the state that it's in. We need to talk about these things in church, Right. So today we're going to talk about why this is important, and it's because the church from its very establishment was multi-ethnic. From the very beginning, the church was multi-ethnic. Uh, I want to revisit Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that we, I think we wrapped up with last week, but it's a good intro into this week, and it's Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. Now, the Greek meaning non-Jewish person, okay? And so Paul is saying that the gospel of Jesus Christ first came to the Jews, but it didn't stop there. It also went to non-Jewish people. Amen? Amen? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is a message for every ethnicity of man, for every nation of mankind. And so we see this in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Jesus is assembled with his disciples, and it says, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So the promise of the Father is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh -huh. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, wait in Jerusalem until you have received that gift. Don't, don't go out evangelizing yet. Receive the promise of the Father. Receive the empowerment that comes when the Holy Spirit falls upon you. Now, some will say, well, we, we all have the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. That's not what this is saying. When you're born again, you receive the Holy Spirit, but then there's an empowerment that comes so that you can go out and do the work of God, not in your own strength, but in the strength of the Spirit. Right? And so that's what he's talking about when he's saying wait for the promise of the Father is this 
It literally means to be clothed with the Holy Spirit. What does this have to do with the multi-ethnic church? Keep listening. Be patient. Verse 6 says, Therefore, when they came together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's where the multi-ethnic church comes into play. It's because Jesus is telling them, don't go yet because you need to receive this empowerment that comes when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when you receive that empowerment, you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, which is their city, and Judea, which is their region, and Samaria, which is a Gentile uh, region. You know, Jews and Samaritans didn't intermix. They did, they, they, I mean, you think racism in America between black and white is bad? It, 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 it just starts to touch on how bad it was with Jews and Samaritans. That's the reason why when Jesus gives the parable about the good Samaritan, it was so revolutionary. It was so out of what they could comprehend is because what do you mean good Samaritan? Nothing good can come from a Samaritan. They're half Gentile, half Jew. We don't want nothing to do with them at all. But here's Jesus saying, don't go do the work of the kingdom until you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, until you receive the promise of the Father, and then you're going to preach the gospel in Jerusalem and in Judea and even in Samaria. And it's going to go even beyond that to the ends of the earth. So we see right here in the book of Acts from the very beginning that Jesus' desire is for the gospel to go to the nations to the different ethnicities, to the various ethnicities of mankind that are on the face of the earth. So much so that he's saying, go with my power, go with my spirit. I'm going to empower you by sending the Holy Spirit to come upon you to do this work. And I'm telling you, man, sometimes, a lot of times, it's going to be impossible to build a multi-ethnic church without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Because the culture of our day just fights against that. The politics of our day fight against it. They talk a good talk that they want us all to be united, but in reality, they want to keep us separated. They don't want us to come together. They don't want us to start to worship Jesus together so that we, as the body of Christ, start to be an example for the world of how the different ethnicities can really start to come together and work together for good without an, a skin color agenda. Amen? Are y'all hearing me this morning? So he says, you shall receive power. And it's not just any kind of power. This is miraculous strength. This is dunamis. That's the Greek word. It's dunamis. This is miraculous might and power when they receive the Holy Spirit. And it's in that power that they will go 
to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So part of your prayer on a daily basis should be, Father, fill me with the Holy Spirit. That I may be your witness in Appleton, in the Fox Valley. We even get up to those people in Green Bay. Right? We even talk to those people in Illinois. And we'll go to the end of the earth. Right, Steve? I see. See, uh. <laughs> Because we're called as a multi-ethnic people to preach a multi-ethnic gospel. Amen? Amen. So today I want to take some time to just kind of look at the book of Acts because we can see through the book of Acts how from the very inception of the church, there's different ethnicities of man that have come into faith in Christ and become a part of the body of Christ, right? Like one of the things that I'm a big believer in is like, let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's look at what the early century, the first century church did, and let's, let's do what they did, right? They were closer to Jesus, right? I mean, there was eyewitnesses in that church, people who walked with Jesus. So I think they know what they're talking about. So let's, let's do what, what they did. Amen? Yeah. And so in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were with one accord in one place. Who is they? Well, they are the 120. Remember, there's 120 in the upper room, and they've been in the upper room for 10 days up to this point, praying for the promise of the Father. Right? Well, how do you know it was 10 days? Well, because Jesus walked with them for 40 days. He ascended, said, go wait. They're waiting. Now it's the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover, right? Which is when Jesus was crucified. And so it's, it's, it, they've been in the upper room praying for the promise of the Father for 10 days. And <clears throat> this they, once again, is 120 primarily Jewish people. And they are being, or they are about to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're Jewish people. Now, remember when we read up here in uh, Romans chapter one, Paul says it's for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Because the gospel message came to the Jews first. Right? And on this day that we're reading about, the day of Pentecost, is where it became open to non-Jewish people. We're going to skip down to verse 5 because we know, you know, in the, in between, uh, after verses uh, 1, uh, it, it talks about the sound of heaven and the Holy Spirit coming and lighting upon each one of them. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And it says in verse 5, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven. Keep that in mind. Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all of these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born. 
Parthenians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pont Pontus and Asia, Pygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speak in our own tongue the wonderful works of God. This is pretty powerful. <clears throat> and I, I want to ask Eddie if you could put that map up on the screen, that first, first map. So, so you see Jerusalem there in the center, and, and these are the different nations that, that we just read about. So you can see that these people are coming from all over the world, parts of Africa, parts of Asia, which is Arabia, and, and, and what we now call like uh, Europe, and, and the northwestern part of, of Asia, you see there's people coming from all over the world to this celebration that is called Pentecost, right? And it says that there were Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Now, don't think of that as only biological Jews because it's not just biological Jews that were there. In fact, if we can put verse 10 of Acts chapter 2 back on the screen, and it says both Jews and proselytes. I think I'm saying that correctly. Another proselytes, thank you, Doc. Another way of saying this is biological Jews and those foreigners who have converted to Judaism. That's what a proselyte is. They weren't born. Jewish. They're not of the Jewish bloodline, but they've heard the message that is preached in Judaism and they've converted from whatever it is they were, you know, a part of into Judaism. And so now as converts, they're going to Jerusalem to worship on this day of Pentecost, which was one of the seven feasts of the Lord. And so as good Jews, both biological and those who have converted, they're in Jerusalem at this time celebrating this feast that we call or that is called Pentecost. Now, in verse 8, it says, and how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? So when the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began to speak, they began to preach the gospel it wasn't in their native tongue. It was in a tongue that they did not know. And we have to be careful with this thing because there's a lot of misunderstanding in the body of Christ about the gift of tongues. Because some will say, well, the gift of tongues is, a, is only an unknown language. Well, that's not true because the Bible talks about the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And it says different kinds of tongues. And remember, we talked a couple weeks ago about that word kinds. That word kinds means different like species. And Paul, he talks about how I speak with the tongues of angels and the tongues of men. So there is a prayer language that is unknown, that is heavenly. But the spirit can also come upon us and empower us to speak Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. 
But because God has a message for a Spanish audience that I happen to be there for, he can empower me by his spirit to speak that message in Spanish. It's never happened. I wish he would. It would make preaching in Cuba a lot easier. Right? I look forward to the day it happens. But that's what's going on here, which we're reading about in the book of Acts, is that the Spirit has come upon them, and they're speaking, if we could put the map back up there, in, in, in these new languages that they do not know naturally, um, the wonderful works of God. So they're speaking in Egyptian and Arab and, and, and whatever the Mesopotamian language is of the day. They're speaking this, and it's blowing their mind. They're saying, are not all these people like Galileans? Which is another way of saying like just uneducated, uncultured country bumpkins. Right? All those people, they, it would be like us saying, never mind, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but they're blown away by this. They're absolutely blown away by what's going on here. But God has empowered them by his spirit to preach the gospel in the native language of every nation of man that was in Jerusalem at that time. So that it would give, they would give their ear to what's being said. They could have just spoken Hebrew or they could have just spoken in uh, uh, Greek. But these are Galileans speaking in our language in which we were born. And the message that it, it caught their ear and the message that they're preaching is the wonderful works of God. Are you following me this morning? So then Peter stands up and he preaches because they start to say, oh, these people are drunk. You know, or what could this mean? And some are mocking them and others are saying, oh, this has to be God. But, but, but there's this, oh, they're drunk. And Peter's like, they're not drunk. It's only, you know, I think like nine o'clock in, in, in the morning or something along those lines. And he says, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. And that prophecy was that in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. And that your sons and daughters will prophesy, which prophesy doesn't always mean just foretelling the future. It also means preaching an inspired word. Right? right? right. And 3,000 men get saved that day. Now, I don't know about you, but when I got saved, I tried to hide that for a, for a season just in case it didn't stick. That's literally the conversation I had with myself as I was leaving the church that night. Like, I'm not telling none of my friends that I just got saved, just in case this don't stick. They're not going to later on make fun of me saying, remember when Charles called himself a Christian? Remember when he was going through his church phase? It's like, I ain't telling none of these jokers. But I start reading my Bible and praying. And then they would start calling me with foolishness. And they'd be like, I just read that last night in the scripture. I have the answer, but I can't tell them because then I have to tell them. And it just got to the point where I could no longer hold it back. 
I just start telling, like, from the script, well, this is what the Bible says. What do you mean the Bible says? Well, I got saved. When? Like three weeks ago. What do you mean you got saved? Like, I serve Jesus now. Now, here's the question I have for you. That we have 3,000 people from all over the world who give their life to Christ. They're going back to their nations. Do you think they just went back and kept that to themselves? Or do you think they preached the gospel in Mesopotamia and Cyrene and Arabia and all these different places that they were at? Think about your own salvation experience. Most likely, you shared that gospel. Most likely, you were not like me saying, I'm hiding this. Most likely, you were excited and went about telling everybody to the point where folks was maybe saw you coming and went the opposite direction. Because he's going to be talking, Josh going to be talking about Jesus. Crosby going to be talking about Jesus. Let me get up out of here. Right? I had one guy, one of my friends from college say, man, you ruining my high with that Jesus stuff. Good. Sober up. But I believe that these 3,000 went back to their places that they lived and they began to preach and proclaim the gospel. This is how a Jewish movement known as The Way became a multi-ethnic church that we know it to be today. Because in the book of Acts, they call Christianity The Way. Right? Right? So, from the very beginning, the gospel message was for every nation of man, and the church was designed to appreciate and welcome and value every nation of man, Jew first, and also for the Greek. The message first came to the Jews. But I want to talk about some major events that have happened after this that helped for the spread of the gospel. Because remember, when the disciples are asking Jesus and the apostles are asking Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he's saying, don't worry about that. That's none of your business. That's the fathers, right? What you need to be concerned with is receiving the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and being my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He's saying that to a Jewish audience. So the day of Pentecost comes, they get filled with the Spirit, they preach in all these different languages, Peter preaches, 3,000 get saved, they go back to their homes, but now this Jewish movement that God wants to be multi-ethnic and to reach the nations of the earth is really being contained by those disciples, those 120 in Jerusalem. When they have a word to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth with this message. They're not unlike us. Jerusalem is what we know. Jerusalem is what's comfortable. We, we heard you, Jesus, but we still only kind of believe Jews can be saved. Right? That's why we as disciples of Christ don't witness to Muslims and Buddhists and Wiccans. We run from them. 
We refuse to be in relationship with them. Because we would never say this, but we think in our mind and our heart, they, they can't be saved. Because they're serving Allah. They're bowing down to Buddha. So the Lord is looking at this. He's saying, all right, I got to do something about it. And so there's this young man named Stephen that God raises up as a wise man and a mighty man of God. And he's doing great works in the power of the spirit. And, and he's preaching the gospel to the point where it's stirring up the religious leaders of the day. And they arrest him and they start to question him. And Stephen begins to preach the gospel and it convicts them so much so that they kill him. They stone him. And as they're stoning him, he, he sees Jesus standing in heaven and he says, Lord, forgive them. They don't, they don't know what they do. Don't, don't charge this to them. And I'm sitting there saying, Lord, I want to be like him. Because if I look up and see them, I'm like, Jesus, get them. <laughs> Put a force field around me and strike all these jokers. I want to be like Stephen. I want to grow up and say, have mercy on them, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. And in that, there was a young man named Saul who's holding the coats of those who were stoning Stephen. Now, you know Saul, not because he's talked about in the Old Testament as the king of Israel, but because he's who became the apostle Paul. Right? He became the Apostle Paul. So I want to pick this up in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says, now Saul was consenting to his death, the death of Stephen. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging out men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Philip went down to, the city, to, a, to a city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. And in any city where the gospel is effectively preached and revival breaks out, there will be joy in that city. That's why we can't keep silent. We can keep silent for a while because preaching the gospel will stir up devils and demons against us. But as revival starts to break out, there will be great joy in this city. Amen. Now, here's what is happening here. Because God has called them to go from Jerusalem to the region of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And they're saying, we're good here in Jerusalem. And so the Lord allows this persecution to break out. Such persecution that it scatters them all over the place. And as they're scattered, 
they began to preach the gospel. Let's not require persecution so that we go beyond our own areas of comfort to preach the gospel. Are you hearing me this morning? Let's get to this place where wherever I am, the gospel will be preached. Oh, but I'm on vacation. You never take a vacation from the Lord. Right? I don't care where you're at. Look for an opportunity to preach Christ. And so the Lord allows this persecution to come to bring about this scattering so that the gospel can go to the nations in these regions that the believers of that day didn't want to go to. Right? Now, as they went, what I believe happened is they saw the idolatry and the wickedness in these other cities and regions and they just couldn't hold their tongue any longer. So they began to preach the word. In fact, we can read about this later on in Paul's life, Saul, who became the apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17. It says in verse 16, now while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. So Paul is in Athens, minding his business, but he sees that there's idolatry all over the place. The city is rampant with them, and, and they don't even know that what they're engaged in is wickedness. And it's actually, in, it's, it's creating more bondage for them, right? Because y- you got to understand something about these gods of the biblical times. They, they weren't like our God. Like, man was like sport for them. You know, just give us your babies. Like, seriously, give us your babies to earn my favor. Burn your babies. Right? Going to the temple, like there's this, this goddess Diana. And they, she had a temple built in this, in this time and in this region. And people would go into this temple and they'd have perverted sex. as a way of pleasing her and earning her favor. That's why you'll hear about temple prostitutes in different parts of the Bible. It's because they would go into these, these temples to Diana and they'd have this crazy perverted sex as a way of earning Diana's favor. Molech is the one that they would sacrifice their babies to. Baal we read about all throughout the Old Testament. All the crazy stuff that would happen in Israel even got caught up in doing some of that. These gods, these idols that these people were worshiping were, were, were despicable. It wasn't innocent. It was bringing people into greater levels of bondage. And Paul sees that in Athens, and he's provoked in his spirit. My question is, are we provoked in our spirit when we see the idols in our city? And, Actually, let me take that back. Do we see the idols in our city? Or are we so ingrained in the culture that we don't even recognize it anymore? I got to tell you something. I'm leaving church. I don't know if it was Sunday, last Sunday, or if it was Tuesday. I believe it was Tuesday. I was leaving the church. And I live towards Kimberly, right? So I'm headed east on College Avenue. So I turned down Durkee, I head east on College Avenue, and Lawrence University is right there, and they've built this new arch, right? It's beautiful. 
It's absolutely beautiful. And as I'm sitting at the light, I see something strange going on over there, and I'm looking, and it's the LGBTQ flag and a guy holding a sign saying, God likes homosexual sex. It's some perverted message on it. I'm sitting there saying, like, forgive him, Lord. Forgive him. I'm sitting there saying, Lord, forgive Lawrence University. Because that is a pillar in our community, and it is probably the most liberal place in our community. I might be offending some people right now, but that's all right. It's the truth. Super liberal. And I'm, I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, this arch that they built, because I saw them building it all summer. And I saw what it was going to become, and it's like, man, they're trying to really beautify their campus. And I think that's what the intent was. But we know that there's a spirit behind everything else. I think they're building like a gateway, an arch, that when you come into this environment, you're going to be under the influence of the gods that we serve on this campus. And standing outside of there is the LGBTQ deal. Oh, you're being hateful. That's hate speech. It's not hate speech. I didn't say I hate anybody. I didn't condemn anyone. But that is an ungodly agenda. It's an ungodly agenda. There's no way of softening that. There's no way of twisting that. It's ungodly. And I don't have the time to go into why, but it is. Are you recognizing the idols in our community. Let me give you one. And uh, ushers and security get ready. <laughs> There's this green and gold team that has a temple in this town called Green Bay that people go to every Sunday to worship. And when they ain't playing there, they go to their homes to worship them. When I see the story of the church in Oshkosh last week, did y'all hear about that? I didn't hear. I, uh, one of our members, Nikki, posted that on her Facebook. And I'm reading this. I'm like, this has got to be a mistake. But they start out with five minutes of worship. Then they stop for the game. Then at commercial break, two more minutes of worship. Then they stop when they came back from commercial break. The whole first half they spent worshiping during the commercial break. Then at halftime, they had their worship service or they had their their message and their prayer. And I'm sitting there saying, "We, we have lost it. We have absolutely lost it. I'm way off topic right now. But these idols that we have in our city, are we aware of them? Are they provoking us as they provoked Paul? Right? I mean, I know people that if the Packers lose, they're messed up for a couple days. I'm serious. They're messed up for a couple days. It's like, man, that, that, that's an idol. Right? Alcohol and partying. That's another idol in our community. Yep. 
I think we have more bars than churches. Right? When you see the, 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 uh, the, the report that comes out every year, the 50 drunkest cities in America, seven of them are in, in the, seven of the top 10 are always in Wisconsin and in this general area. Seven of the top 10, right? Our schools and universities are known as party schools. That's an idol. Here's one that's growing, is witchcraft and the occult. That's growing in our community. And we as believers better open our eyes and start to see it and recognize it. We see people walk around, that's not, oh, that's not just a cute little crystal on their necklace. It's not. We got this whole shop on College Avenue. I ain't going to say the name. I don't want people going there. Be quiet, Jamil. <laughs> it's dedicated to the occult and witchcraft. You can get your palm read. You can get your fortune told. And as you get deeper and deeper into the back of the building, it gets more wicked. You can buy witchcraft books where you can cast spells. Buy all these crystals. It's growing here. And I'm telling you, the only answer to idolatry is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's why I'm taking the time to really dig into this idolatry thing. It's because it's not just one ethnicity of mankind that is involved in idolatry. We all are. I'm an African-American man, and I can tell you, that one of the idols of the African-American community is our blackness. And it's like, bro, that is an idol. It is. It's an idol. And I would be, I'd have some people mad at me that, that would hear that, but it's the truth. Black lives matter, right? I agree with those words. I'll never support that organization. Ever. Because I know what its roots are. And I know what it's practicing. We have to be a multi-ethnic church that preaches a gospel that is available to every nation of man because every nation of man is steeped and bound in some kind of idolatry. There's no middle ground. Jesus was clear. You're either with us or you're scattering abroad. There's no middle ground. There's no neutral place. Amen? Amen. I have so many more scriptures here, but I just... So I want to close with Acts chapter 18. It says, when Saul... I'm sorry, when Silas and Timothy had come from, from uh, Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed him, he shook off his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own hands. I'm clean. From now on, 
I will go to the Gentiles, right? I want to show you this because God is so serious about the gospel being a, a, a message for every ethnicity of man and the church being a place to welcome every ethnicity of man that he raised up Paul as an apostle to a nation or nations of people that the Jews didn't even think could be saved. Does that make sense? When the Lord spoke to Paul, he showed him everything that he would suffer and that he would carry, that Paul would carry the name of Jesus to kings, to Gentiles, and to the children of, of, and to the Jews. God has established Paul. And you can see how, can we put that, that map back up here for me, Eddie? Paul goes from Jerusalem. And he, he visits all those places that start to get into Western Asia and, and, and what we call Europe. He made three missionary journeys up there, establishing churches all throughout that re, those regions. Because it's God's desire that his body be made up of every nation of man. It's God's desire that every ethnicity of man have a chance to hear the gospel and respond. And so we as Breakthrough Covenant Church, we have to continue to have a heart to be a multi-ethnic church. Because God's heart is for every ethnicity, every nation of man. Amen?